Good morning, everyone. It is good to be together and uh, worship together. I have some friends over here said they were going to boo me as I came up. Uh, I, I didn't hear anything, so thank you for that. Um, <laughs> um, it's good to be together here, isn't it? We could be outside in the heat, uh, but we're in here. It's nice and cool, and we also get to spend time just looking into God's Word. And uh, so we're going to do that. We're going to take some time and uh, find some things, I believe, that are very valuable to us as we look into that. I know that, uh, uh, that Randy just prayed, but let, let's go ahead and again, let's just quiet our hearts before the Lord just for a moment. Lord, we do want to come before you right now, thanking you for who you are, all that you are, who you have declared yourself to be. And as we take this time here, God, would you speak to us from your word? Take what's of yourself and burn it deeply into our hearts, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. As I was preparing for this time, I was thinking about uh, the whole idea of directions. You know, directions are important in life. Every, in things that we go, where we do, different things like that. You know, things like recipes or maps or signs. Those of us who try to put together toys at Christmas time, sometimes those directions are important. And I was thinking about that with directions, the importance of it. Um, there's a family story we have about my mom. I'm going to throw mom under the bus here just for a minute. Uh, mom was a really good cook, I think. Good Western, you know, cowboy sort of fare, good stuff. And, uh, but there was one time. Mom was making biscuits, and she's getting all ready. I guess she was in a hurry, and she forgot to put in the baking powder. Now, for those of you who don't know anything about cooking, baking powder is pretty important. You know what baking powder does? It makes those little tiny biscuits go into nice fluffy biscuits. Without it, all you get is hockey pucks. And that's what mom did. Uh, she uh, got the, uh, everything out. She put it in there. They came out, and we had a, a whole set of nice brown hockey pucks. Now, what was really funny, even worse, was it was a time, I guess, we didn't have a whole lot, and, and so mom decided she would go ahead and use them uh, for part of the meal. We had a guy working for us, and his name was Wilbur. Wilbur had no teeth. And we can still, and we still laugh, and we still talk about it in our family. We can remember biscuits coming by, and poor Wilbur picking one up and trying to gum it to death. <laughs> It was great. Uh, recipes are important. I remember one time we were driving back, uh, Ann and myself, and I think it was Ben was with us. We were coming back from Maine. And uh, it, was, it was nighttime by the time we got, we were around New York City area. And we were driving along, and I, we're talking, singing, whatever we do as we travel. And uh, all of a sudden, I look up and I realize, I look around, and I have no idea where I am. All I know is I'm making good time. I was on the wrong road. I had missed the sign to make the turn to go towards South Jersey. I mean, those signposts are important. Directions are important. And they're important for a lot more things than just recipes and signs and putting the toys together. 
I mean, they, they really are important for life. Um, there are things much more significant. They, they have eternal implications. Directions for our lives, directions for our souls. And we need to listen to them, I believe. We've been looking at the, this series here, Every Story, His Name talking about who God is in every story through the scriptures. And, and at the beginning, we looked at through the whole of scripture, God making way for the Redeemer and proclaiming the Redeemer. And then last week, the help uh, of Jesus seen in the story of the Father with the Son with the demons and how Jesus helped with that. Today, every story, his name, what we're going to focus on is looking at the value and power of God's word in our lives. So as we're looking at that, we're looking at the scriptures. We're, we're going to take a lot of time. We're going to read and look at a lot of scriptures. It makes sense, huh? And so we're going to do that. We want to see what God has done. We're going to look here. And so if you have your Bible, you may want to follow along. I haven't given page or anything like that. A lot of them will be up on the screen, but I will try to remind, remind you which ones we're looking at so you can look. And we're going to begin with Psalm 19. Uh, Psalm 19, we're not going to read the whole thing. We're going to read verses 1 to 4 and then 7 to 11 uh, because it, it declares something that's very, very important about who God is. Let's read it together. If you, um, I'll read it. You follow along. He says this by the Spirit of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. And then jumping down to verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, the honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Now, I began with that because there's going to be four points here. They all start with R. And first of all, understanding God reveals himself in two ways. And that's what he says here. He reveals himself so that we might know who he is and what he's like. So the first point here is revelation. God declares who he is. And he says he declares himself in two ways. First of all, in Psalm 19, and there are other places, he talks about the fact that he reveals himself through creation. I mean, in Romans, we've looked at Romans in the beginning of Romans. There Paul writes, and he, he says, you know, that, that God in his creation shows who he is, and we're without excuse. Creation does that. Uh, creation shows many things. I, I was thinking about these things here. What does creation show? And first of all, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The idea there is he created without anything. If nothing else, showing the eternality of God. That God is absolutely eternal. He has no beginning. There is no end. Before creation was, God is. 
I mean, it, it's an amazing concept to think. Something, and God, and God uh, reveals himself in that, in creation, and all that he is. We read of stories of people around the world who they may not understand very much, but they understand there is a creator because they see the creation all around them. Another thing we see in the, in the creation of God, at least one of the things that come to my mind, is that of power. The, the immense power that, that had to be there in order to create uh, up in, in down in, uh, over in Colorado. Yeah, the, there are places where we went backpacking, and in the summertime in the Rockies, you can be sure of at least one thing, and that is that there's going to be lightning in the afternoons. And, and so with our trips, we had to make sure we were down off the peaks and off the ridges by the time that came, and just we sat through some amazing lightning storms. I have to admit, I usually wasn't very afraid. There was one time I was, but other than that, it was just really, you see that lightning come across, go from peak to peak. I mean, it was, you could feel the ground shake with it. You could, you could actually hear it sizzle through the air. You could smell it. Ha, it was amazing. The power of God. And with lightning and everything, it's just a small amount of the power of God in his creation. Another thing in creation, just the creativity of God. I mean, you can imagine as God, as he begins to make things, even with the plants. I mean, make things, everything from a, something as elegant as a rose to something as prickly as a cactus. <laughs> just that's amazing. Or with the animals, just think with me what God has created. Something as unusual as a platypus. Maybe something as gorgeous as a snow leopard. I mean, it's amazing to think of, of all that God has created and what he did. And certainly he shows himself in that. And so as the psalmist right there, he says, yeah, God reveals himself. He reveals himself through creation. But that's not really our point here. What we really want to focus on is the second part. As he writes in Psalm there, he reveals himself through his word, especially his written word. And, and that's what we want to focus on. We have the scriptures here. Uh, and, and that's how God has revealed himself. Through what you're holding, if you have it there, you may have it on your app, something else, that his word, I mean, is absolutely unique. Uh, listen, walk with me here for a minute. Some of the things that are so unique about God's written word. How many people did God use to write the scriptures? There are about 40 authors. 60, 66 books over 1,500 years. He used them in all of that. He used two languages primarily. He used Hebrew and he used Greek. Uh, there's a little bit of Chaldean in the book of Daniel. But two distinct languages. Variety of occupations. As, as these people wrote, I mean, there's some were who were prophets, and that kind of makes sense to us, doesn't it? And, and, and then there were some who were kings. There were those who were fishermen. There was even one, his occupation was a picker of figs. God used all sorts of different people in different occupations, different ways of life in order to pen his word. Over three continents, at least 13 countries, and get this, it's all one story. 
they're not going against each other. They're telling the same story. Maybe different views, different directions, but it is one story. Absolutely. It is absolutely authoritative. It is what he has written. We believe here, and I believe very firmly, in what we call, uh, what is called the verbal inspiration, plenary inspiration of Scripture. Verbal meaning that the very words that are there in the original languages are exactly what God intended. That's the word he wanted where he wanted it. And so we can trust it. And plenary is the whole, the whole thing together. As it all comes together, it is exactly what God intended. Inspired, breathed by God. And that is what he has done. That's his word. That's how he has revealed himself. Through this word. And there is one other way. Part of the word here, this is the written word. I would also suggest that... uh, He reveals himself through the living word. That is Jesus. Jesus is the living word. If you read in uh, John 1, John 1, uh, verse 2, 1 and 2, and then verse 14, John writes this. He says, in the beginning was the word. And there he's using the word, word, as Jesus. So read that. In the beginning was the word, Jesus And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then he jumps down, he says a lot of things in verse 14. The Word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He shows who the Father is. He shows what he is like. The writer of Hebrews, at the beginning, he says, God has spoken in times past through his prophets and now has spoken through his son, Jesus. Someone asks the question, why did Jesus come to earth? And we give the answer many times. He came to die for our sins, that we might have life. And that is absolutely true. But also understand this. Jesus also came to reveal Father God to us by his life and by his love to help us understand more and more who God is and what God is like. That's the revelation. Through the word, certainly through creation, yes, as we see Jesus, God reveals himself. And the question is, why? Why does he do that? And this comes to the second point, reason. The reason for God giving us his word. I have two things there. First of all, just to know him. I mean, to say that we know somebody but really don't know him, just we know him by name or by reputation, that doesn't mean we actually know him. Uh, we have a favorite movie in our family, Man from Snowy River. You may not know it. It's a good cowboy picture from Australia. And uh, the, the main character there, uh, his name is Jim, so I kind of like that. He's a good rider of horses. I kind of like that. And, and his father dies in a tragic accident. And, and so he has to go down on the flatlands. He gets a, a job on a ranch there. And they're getting rather ready for a big roundup. And a guy named Clancy is coming. Now, Clancy is this, like, paragon of cowboy. I mean, he is the best guy around, and everybody looks up to Clancy. And Jim tells everybody, I know Clancy. He was my father's mate. 
And they all look at him, ah, you don't know him. And they make fun of him. And, and finally, Clancy shows up on the ranch. He rides up, he gets off his horse, and the first thing he does in the movie, he goes over, he shakes Jim's hand, he greets him, he said, Jim, good to see you. I'm so sorry to hear about your father. He was a good mate. And everybody just said, Jim did know him. He didn't know him just by reputation like everybody else. He knew who he was. We're going to suggest the same thing. That's what God wants to do here. He wants us to know not just by name. He wants us to know him. And so he does that through his word. To know who he is, to know what he's like. To know, for instance, the holiness of God. Isaiah 6. There Isaiah, as he writes about the vision he had there, and in verse 3, and they were calling to one another. These are the seraphim. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Declaring the holiness of God. That's not the only place, but that's the one that came to mind, is showing the holiness of God, meaning that he cannot abide, abide sin. He's absolutely pure. He is without sin. He is Holy. And God shows himself. You're going to know me. You need to know me as holiness. We read it. We see that he's there. And I'm going to say to you that as you read it in these things, you also see it through the whole narrative as, as he writes there to see those things about the character of God. He wants us to know about his love. And probably one of the best known verses in all of the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God wants us to know him and know that he loves us absolutely and dearly. He shows that about himself as he lives, as he brings things together, as he brings redeemer, all those things he shows his love. We can know him. We know his holiness. We know his love. We know other attributes about who God is and what he is like. I think it was uh, A.W. Tozer said, the most important thing about you is what comes to your mind when you think of God. And that may be true. And here in, in the Psalms, uh, Psalm 135, he talks about some of the characteristics of God. Verses 3 and 5, praise the Lord. For the Lord is good. Sing praise to his name, for that is pleasant. I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is greater than all gods. To know the goodness of God, to know the greatness of God. A little bit later in Psalm 139, in some of these verses, verses 2 to 4, he says this, You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. The whole idea of the omniscience of God, that he knows everything, that he knows everything about you, that he knows us. That's, a, that's an incredible characteristic. And, and he, he said, I want you to know that. And he shows that throughout his word. And continuing on in Psalm 139, verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Talking about the omnipresence of God, that God is absolutely everywhere. 
That means he is here with us now. He is with you wherever you go. He is omnipresent. What a great thing to know about God. We, we can know that. And he shows that as you read through the word. He goes on in Psalm 139, verse 14, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And that whole passage there then talking about just the power of God, we would say the omnipotence of who God is. Absolutely all-powerful in all that he does for goodness, for greatness, for his holiness, for love, but he is absolutely powerful. I mean, we know these things about God as we read in the scriptures. You want to know God? You really want to know who he is? He says, take time to read my word because I am showing you who I am so that you don't have to just say, yeah, I know God, but I really know him because I've taken time to read his word, and I see who he is, and I see what he's like. Not only how to know him, but how to live. Uh, by following his commands. Uh, in Psalm 119, we're going to look at a few verses there. Psalm 119, longest chapter in the Bible, and its focal point is that on the word of God. And as the psalmist writes there, as David writes, he says this, beginning verses 1 and 2. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. I mean, that, he said that, that's, the, that's the path of wisdom. Follow his commands, what he said. Verse 9 and then 11. How can a young person lay on the, stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. Verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Knowing God, knowing how to live, he says, read my word. Verse 30 and 31. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes, Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. To know him, yes, absolutely. And then, how to live. Following his commands. And, and it's not just a list of do's and don'ts. Now, a lot of people argue and they say, yeah, it's so hard. It's just a do this, don't do this. That, don't look at it from that viewpoint. In the Old Testament, God does command his people the way that they were supposed to live. He does that because he had set them apart from the other nations. He had chosen them. He said, you are my people, and this is what I want you to be. This is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to live separately from the other nations. Because a lot of the other nations were doing a lot of very ungodly things, and the Israelites were prone to do that. He said, you're my chosen people, and I want you to live this way because you are set apart. And so the laws you see, the things, everything from the Ten Commandments, which are things that, that we would hold on to as of ways of understanding what God works in our life and shows us how we're not, but what he wants to do. And all the laws and the things they were supposed to be, they were supposed to do that. They were to follow his commands. But get this, understand this. It was never for salvation. They were not going to be saved because they kept the laws. I mean, nobody ever comes to salvation. No one is ever given eternal life. Very simply because they keep some laws, 
keep some rules. You don't come to Christ, you don't get salvation by keeping laws. And so the Israelites, he wasn't giving it to them for them, for their salvation. It was because I know the way you're to go. You are my people. Follow these commands. That's what he says. This is how to live. He continues on in the New Testament. The very same thing is true. Jesus spoke to his disciples. It's John 14, verse 15 is one of the best ones. And it very simply says this. If you love me, you will obey what I command. That's what he says. You love me? Obey me. Again, not for salvation, because that comes only through Christ. It's because you love me. I have these things I've given you. This is the right way to live. This is a good way to live. This is right. And so we follow it. How do we know those things? By reading his word. Following his how to live, by following his commands, I'm going to suggest also entrusting his ways. Psalm 119, yeah, verse 105, really familiar verse to many, many of us. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I mean, it shows us the way to go. It's like taking a flashlight and you're walking along the ground and you're showing there you know, what rocks are there to step over or move aside from. It, it, it shows what is there. That's what, that's what light does. A uh, number of years ago, uh, we were doing wilderness camp, and we played a game many times called Communists and Christians. And those, if you know the game, it's, you have two sides, obviously. The communists are the bad guys, and they're trying to catch the Christians. The Christians are trying to escape the bad guys and try to find the church. The communists have flashlights. The Christians do not. And, uh, and so the communists are trying to catch him. They catch you, you put you in jail. And there's all sorts of fun things with it. And one time, I was a communist. I was a bad guy. And I'm going along. I've got my flashlight on. I'm shining. And I, I'm in kind of this big thicket of, of trees. And I hear something. Ha <laughs> It's one of those Christians. I turn out my light so they can't see me. And I listen. And I listen, and finally I don't hear anything, and I finally say, well, I must not. So I turn around to walk out, I turn around, and wham, walk right into a tree. (laughs) I hadn't turned my light back on. I I mean, that's what light does. It shows us the way to go. And that's what he's saying here. His word shows us the way to go. We can trust it then, because it shows what's before us. It shows uh, that his ways are best. He, he won't lead us wrong. He'll lead us in the way we need to go, and we can trust that. You know, anytime I start trusting myself, there's going to be some trouble. And every time I trust what God says, that is the path to go. God reveals himself through his word and through creation. God does it so that we can know him, so that we can know how to live by his standards. And I'm going to put another R here, number three, that as he does us, does this, he shows us the path of righteousness. You see, as he, as he reveals himself, 
as he tells what is true and right. He tells us what is true about ourselves. Romans 3.23 is a familiar portion. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I mean, the scriptures say we are sinners by nature and then by conduct. That's who we are. That's who you are. That's who I am. That's who everybody in the world is and has been. We are sinners. He goes on to tell us in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. Our sin condemns us according to the scriptures, according to what God has said. Our sin, because you sin, because I sin, that leads to death. Eternal death, not just physical death. We are separated from God, the Bible says, because of that sin. Remember the holiness of God? Because God is holy, he can't abide sin. He has to judge sin. That's who he is. And if we're left just there about ourselves, we are in terrible, terrible trouble. But the truth about righteousness is there is also a truth about a redeemer. That God made a way for us not to have to pay for our sin, which is death. Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sin. Uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 21, he reminds us this. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus came to pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin. That's the truth about a redeemer. Galatians 3.13, I don't think it's up there. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus did that for me and for you. Knowing that our sin separated us from God absolutely forever, knowing that our sin condemned us, knowing that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, he made a way for us to know him, to actually give us his life, his righteousness, his salvation. And in righteousness, and we've talked about it, and we know it, and we believe it, the truth about ourselves, that we're sinners, the truth about a redeemer, Christ came to pay the price for us. And the Bible says that as many as received him, that's Jesus, to them he gives the right to become children of God. But it's very simply by believing. It, you, you see there, it's not, it's not about doing good works, not about going to church. It's by receiving him. That's how we get his righteousness. And there's one other part about righteousness that fits in all this is the truth about changed lives. You see, when we accept Christ as our Savior, he comes into our life and he changes us. The Bible says he gives us a new nature. He, he, we now have the capacity actually to, to, uh, to do righteousness. We are a new creation in Christ. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I mean, God, as, as he comes into our life, as we embrace him, as we accept him as our Savior and our Lord, he changes us. <laughs> it's amazing. We no longer have to serve sin. We are no, sin is no longer our master. We can serve righteous. We can live 
righteously. We can actually now follow his commands. With his spirit, with his help, we can actually now follow what he says to do because he has changed our life. <laughs> that's, that's the value of the word. As he shows all that he is, God has revealed himself to us. He's given us the reason so that we can know him, know how to live, and, and then he makes it very plain about how we gain his righteousness. That's what he has done for us. That's the value of the word. Now, a lot of people may be thinking silently, okay, Jim, that's great. I do understand that. But I, I thought we were going to be looking at a, a character in Scripture, maybe somebody a little bit unknown, to how to reflect this. And, and you haven't told me about anybody yet except God, which may not be a bad thing. And you're right. So who is the character that I'm going to use as an illustration? Well, this is number four. I, I wanted to stay with ours, you know, so I went with representation. This is the example. The, the person is Josiah in the Old Testament. Now, he was one of the last kings of Judah, has a tremendous story. I, I'm going to read it here. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's fairly long in Second Chronicles, uh, but we're going to read just little bits and pieces to begin to see how this all fits together and how he is an example in understanding the value of the Word of God. Second Chronicles 34 begins this way. Now, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. Do, do you have trouble with that? I have an eight-year-old grandson, and I cannot imagine him being the king over everything. Uh, it might be fun, uh, but I'm not sure. Anyway, so Josiah, he was eight years old, began to reign. He reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, so you did the math, he's 16, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David his father. Actually, David was his great, 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 great grandfather. Uh, but the way of righteousness. You, you get the picture. And then it goes on. I'm going to fill in a little bit there. And so part of what he did in wanting to seek after God, uh, he had seen that in, in Judah and even Israel, although Israel at this point had already been taken over by the Assyrians, that people were following idols a lot. And they were uh, all sorts of idolatry and and uh, different things that were, were pretty ungodly. And so he started tearing down those things. He said, we, we can't be that sort of thing. We can't go that way. And so he begins to tear that down. And then he sees that the temple of God is in disrepair, and they begin to repair the temple. And in that, somebody finds a copy of the law. And we look at there, it's probably the first five books of what we call the Old Testament. And he reads it. And he tears his clothes, he humbles himself before God, and verse 19, and when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam, and the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Isaiah, the king's servant, saying, go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that have been found. 
For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out upon us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. As he reads, he realizes God has said, there is a path of blessing in following me, and there is a path of destruction in not following me as my people Israel. And he saw that. He knew what they were like. I mean, he knew that on the outside, they were proclaiming that, yes, we are religious, righteous people. Inwardly and the practice, they weren't at all. I'm reading a book right now called Cultural Christianity. And in it, the author suggests that here in the United States, now he's a pastor down in the South, but it's not just there. He said, it seems like in America, so many times there are people who say that they are Christians and they they go to church sometimes. You know, they sing God Bless America. You know, they wave as the flag goes by or whatever it is. But their hearts are really not after God. And he would suggest that they're cultural Christians, but far from God. And I would say the same thing was true here in Judah. They were culturally Jewish, Israelites, but they were far from God. They were just doing their own thing and not paying attention. And, and what Josiah did was saw the word of God, heard it, read it. In verse 31, And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. He said, this is what is true. This is what is right. And so the example of Josiah, very simply, he desired to seek God, first of all, to turn away from idols, to destroy the idols. I told you a little bit, remember, if you remember your uh, history at all with it, Manasseh was his grandfather. Manasseh reigned for 55 years in Judah, and he is said to be the most evil of all the kings that were there. And then his son Ammon reigned for just two years after Manasseh. He was evil, and then Josiah comes on the scene, and somehow by the Spirit of God, by the power of God, he decided to follow after the ways of David the way of righteousness. And then, not only did he desire to seek God, then he heard the word of God. It was discovered. He heard it. He did not ignore it. He did not say, oh, well, that's that old book. He took time to read it, to hear it. He humbled himself before God and said, God, this is the way. This is what is true. And he lived according to it. He obeyed the word of God, desired to seek God, heard the word of God, obeyed the word of God. You see, he let it impact his life and everything he did. It goes on and tells about how he had read about the Passover. They hadn't been doing that. And so he reinstituted the Passover in order to honor God and to love God. To seek God, he went even more about tearing down the high places and everything. He did not want people worshiping anyone but God. And, and it impacted the nation. Because at this point, at least, the nation, at least at that point, said, yeah, we're going to follow. I have Second uh, Chronicles 34, 33 here. Um, I'm not sure what verse you have up there. Um, I have that, anyway, 34, 33. 
and Josiah took away all the abominations from all the territory that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. You see, the more he saw who God is, the more he read about him in his word, the more he wanted to know him, the more he wanted to follow him. That's the story of Josiah. That's the example of someone valuing the word of God. Many of us have GPS that we use. You know, and sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes they lead us off strange ways. But they, you know, they tell us, take this route. This is the quickest. This way has no tolls. That's, that's kind of what God does for us, only without any mistakes ever. Same as he did with Josiah. He's given us his word. He said, these are directions. Remember the recipe? <laughs> Remember the signs? He's given us directions for our lives, for how we are. He's given us his word so that we can know who he is, so that we can know about the Redeemer, so that we, we can know how to live before him with his help. That's the value of the word. Every story, his name, God is the hero in this one too, in this way. God has lovingly and willingly revealed himself to us. He has provided a way for finite man to know an infinite God. He has shown natural man how to follow a supernatural God. He has not left us to our own devices. He's given us his word. Isn't that amazing? The challenge and the application today is really pretty simple. You've already figured it out. That as people who say we want God, who follow God, we need to really take time to know God's word. We need to take time to read it or listen to it, to, to hear what he has to say so that we know who he is. So we obey his commands. So we understand the glory of the Redeemer. And some people tell me, you know, that's really hard for me to do, Jim. That's really hard. Because I get started on something or something distracts me. I don't know what to do. I'm not sure there's an easy way. I know some of the things that I do. I'm not perfect with it, but, but I'm committed to it. I mean, I, I will say this. If, if you want some help, you say, Jim, just give me an idea, something I can read. What can I do? How can I follow? Talk to me. I'll, I'll show you what I do anyway. And, and take time to know his word. That's the challenge. I'm going to ask you in your heart right now, commit before God. God, with your help, help me to know your word so I can know you. Because these directions from God are for life, for eternity. The psalmist said it this way, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Let's pray. Father, you know that as we look in your word, we see you.
we see what you're like, we begin to understand your ways. Thank you so much for giving it to us. And I admit to you, there are times that I don't always want it. There are times all of us, it seems like, have a hard time really holding on to it. But God, I pray that you'll give us the heart, even that Josiah had, to hear your word and to do it. Not to turn from one side to the other, but to follow you. God, would you put that in our hearts and out of that, continue to change us by your grace and by your spirit. Thank you for your word. In Christ's name, amen. Now go this week, serve the Lord with greatness and gladness, and read his word.